What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Where's This Going? I want to give a big thank you to my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats, that provides 100% grass-fed and grass-finished products. I actually recently just got my order of ground lamb, as well as ground turkey and ground chicken. It's absolutely delicious. U.S. Wellness Meats provides the best quality food for health professionals across the country, professional athletes, fine dining gourmet establishments, and regular people just looking for simply the best product on the planet. It has never been so easy to have all the best meat and seafood delivered right to your door. Go to uswellnessmeats.com and you can find their store that has over 400 all-natural foods that will be shipped to you within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facilities. When you use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you will receive an additional 15% off of your next order order. Shipping and handling is just $9.50 and they ship all across the U.S., Canada, and Puerto Rico. Go get it today. And also, thank you to my sponsor, Infinite CBD. Use promo code WTG10 and receive 10% off your next order at InfiniteCBD.com. My next guest, I'm very excited to have him on. He has appeared on Gotham Comedy Live, Sirius XM's Sway in the Morning Show. He's been on Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Network. He is every single day hustling at all the New York comedy clubs in the city. He performs over 500 shows per year. He is incredibly funny, incredibly charismatic. He is Nico White. Boom, we're live. I'm here with Nico White. Yes, indeed. Nico Uh, White. Now tell them what I do. You are a comedian. Don't worry. They have the whole intro before, so they know every single thing. Oh, you did all that before I even got on? You already know. Okay, gotcha. See, Felix is a real professional. You know what I'm saying? First of all, I want to say thank y'all for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for reaching out. Not too many people reach out, like, because you did, like, two ways. You reached out through the website, and you contacted the college agent. So I'm... Extremely happy to meet you. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad I could be here. And, you know, let's have some fun. I'm very, very happy that you're here as well and that we were able to get it in. Mm-hmm. That's the most important. But before we get started, right. what's something we don't know about you? Uh, something that people don't know about me is that I'm not half as serious as I might seem. You know what I mean? Sometimes because I don't necessarily smile a lot and I guess I don't have the most, um, what's the word? I'm a New Yorker, so I have like a kind of intimidating face sometimes. But people see that, so I'm like, oh, Nico's always serious. It's like, nah, I'm perfectly um, chill. I'm joking a lot more times than I am serious. And I wish more people understood that. Because, like, I have people that'll play around. You know, being a comic, people will try to, dip, like, joke on you. But then as soon as you say something bad, it's like, oh, I can't believe. It's like, dog, I'm, I'm playing. I'm not 
I'm not affected. I'm not hurt. I'm not upset. None of that. So I'm not as serious as some people like to think I am. And I'm, um, I cry a lot. Yeah, I cry a lot. And I don't mean like, you know, like boo-hoo cry, but I'm an anime fan and I'm sentimental. So like whenever a big character dies, oh, I cry like a bitch, bro. To the three people that know, like, when Jiraiya died in Naruto, that was hard for me. <laughs> you know, when Ace died in One Piece, I had to take a day off. It get, it get real out here. And I'll watch videos to cry. Like, there's some... I guess, like, they, people assume that only women do that. But every now and again, it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm a grown-ass man, dog, and I need a good cry. So I'll let, like, <laughs> I'll let three, four weeks go by, and if I haven't felt any emotions, I'm like, you know what? Let's watch a video of a military person coming home to their family for the first time after a while and just, like, lose three pounds worth of tears. Do you, um... I love I love both those stories. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a favorite... You talked about growing up in New York. Mm-hmm. Grew up in Harlem. Yes, sir. Harlem and the Bronx. Shout-outs to BX. Shout-outs to Harlem, East Side. Do you have a favorite New York story? I don't know if this is necessarily a New York story, but... It's definitely a, like a hood story. So the quotation here is bullets on my lullaby, right? So I remember the first time I ever actively heard, yeah, mazel tov, <laughs> dropping expensive cameras and shit. Boy, you never seen a podcast producer get more stressed out than when you heard that sound just now. Whenever you hear in a podcast, that means something horrifying just happened. Yeah, and that's a nice camera too, Josh. Yeah, Josh can't good? say Josh don't say shit on the mic, but I don't want y'all to edit that out. Um, but so um, the quote would be for the story "Bullets on My Lullaby." The first time I ever heard gunfire in my conscious childhood, I had to be about maybe eleven or twelve years old, right? And we live in the back of the building, so our apartment is in the back. Like if you look out the window, you can see the backyard. So me and my boy Sean, um, this kid named Tyreek. This kid named James lived in our building. We're all on, on the playground, right? And in the projects across the street from us, I guess like a fight had broke out. And then next thing you hear is, pow, 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 pow. And I didn't know there were gunshots because I hadn't, you know, like consciously heard gunshots anywhere but on like television. But the next thing you know, whatever gunshots are and the fact that they're dangerous, you don't have to know what they sound like to know that something ain't right. So there was just this instinct, and all of us went to get up and run. And there's a kid named James. So Sean is my god brother. Sean pushed James out of the way so that he could jump the gate because James went back to get his basketball, and him going back to get his basketball, he was in Sean's way. Sean was like, get the fuck out of my way. And Sean was a, like a fat kid. But if you've, ever, if you've never seen a fat kid hop a gate, then there's a part of life that you're really not living. Sean cleared that shit. So now we live in the back, right? And my apartment is on the fourth floor. My mom looked out the window. From the time that she looked out the window to turn around to get to the door, we were already knocking. That's how fast we booked it from the backyard to the house. And, you know, stuff like, stuff like that, as we got older, just became, like, more and more, like, common. You know what I mean? Because we, we lived in a part of Harlem where, like, you know, it was, it was going down. There was this one time... Um, so when you live in the projects, one of the things that you would do was to show how like tough your projects was, you would walk through other people's projects. So we're all one day, it's like maybe a group of 20 of us, right? And so of the 20 of us, we were bored. And we say, like, yo, we need something to do. And everybody was like, yo, let's walk to First Avenue. Now, 
First Avenue had a bunch of between where we were on our avenue and First Avenue is like about four or five avenues. So having said that, that's about six or seven rival projects. Now, you might think in the radius of maybe four blocks, that don't sound like a lot. If you knew the amount of people that were on them blocks ready to like whoop your ass, it felt like you were walking for days. So that's back when um like the chicken noodle soup. I don't know if you know that dance. Yeah. That's back when the chicken noodle soup was hot. So people were getting light and all that stuff. So when we coming up for the group of people to go, one of the kids comes over and was like, yo, we got more dancers than fighters here. You know what I'm saying? Nah, this ain't going to work. Because it was like, it was, you would have thought we were about to really go to war. Because it was like military. They were like, if you run, we're going to fuck you up. If, if don't come with us if you think you're going to run. Because most likely some shit's going to go down. So... <laughs> We start walking, right? And we get through the first projects. We get to both sides of the first projects because every project has like two blocks dedicated to it. So ours is one city block, the other city block from one avenue to one avenue, then from that avenue to the next avenue. After that, the next project starts. is that avenue to the next avenue. In the second half of there is that avenue to the avenue after that. So we get to the first two halves of the first projects, right? Smooth sailing. Ain't have to fight nobody. I'm like, whew, thank God. Then we get through the first half of the second one. It's like, yeah, we think it's going to go all right. The next thing you know, we get to the next projects. And I don't know if I can make this make sense to you, but you know like a basketball court, right? Right. Of course. So, and how basketball courts usually have like four openings in the gates. It was packed on this basketball court. I don't know how many people were in it, but it was fucking packed. You know how water balloons are? I do. You ever pop a water balloon at the side to see the water run out the side? Yeah. That's how they ran out of their basketball court at us. So it might have been 20 of us. There were 40 of them. 40. It's no bullshit. It's 40 of them. And all you heard was, yeah. So to the people that hear this, if you ever walking through any like project, bad neighborhood, mostly black space, and people screaming out, yeah, and they running at you, and you don't know them, that's likely because they ready to whip your ass. So the kid that was, next, that was standing next to me, right, I'm going to call him karate for um, all intents and purposes here. He was standing right next to me. From the time I heard the first, yeah, I turned to my right, and all you saw was elbow and ass the way he was moving. He jumped. Like, we have, like, two types of gates. So we have the regular gate that's probably up to where your waist is. And then we have the roller coaster gates. The roller coaster gates are about six feet tall. That motherfucker cleared the roller coaster gate, got in the grass and hauled ass back to the block, right? So thankfully, the kids, like, they surrounded us. You know How old are you doing this time? Uh, probably, like, 13, 12, okay. 13. 13, I think. So, 13 going on 14. I think this is the summer of 2007, right? Yeah, summer 2007, because high school hadn't started yet. So, it's summer 07. I'm 14. And <laughs> so, they run over to where, they, to where we are. They start pressing us and whatnot. And like five, six kids ran. So, now it's 40 on 14, right? Because you had about like six kids run. Thankfully, nothing happened. You know what I'm saying? All ended well. We just basically talked, you know. And so we get back to the block. So it's me, my boy Sean, my boy Tony. We get back to the block. We walk back in our building. So one of the kids that ran, he lived in our building, right? And this kid is not a punk. 
know what I'm saying? Like, karate, I ain't never seen that dude lose a fair fight. But I guess in his mind, he was like, 20 on, 20 on 40 ain't fucking fair. And a good run is better than a bad stand. So, fuck that. I'm a side with me. So, next thing you know, we get back to the block. And one of the kids saw karate and he punched him in his nose, right? This is unbeknownst to us. So we in our building. Next thing you know, we see karate coming in. He's holding his nose crying. So yeah, that's one of the New York stories I got. I got a bunch of stories that are like that. So there's this other time where um, a boy, uh, Tone, this nigga really wanted KFC. I don't know why he really wanted KFC. I don't know what the impulse was. But for some reason, the taste of chicken hypnotized him that day. And he really wanted KFC. So from where we live, the only KFC is on 106th Street. And um, and you're on which street? I can't tell you that. Okay. But we're not on 106th Street. But it's a good enough walk and there's a good amount. And this is, again, back when the turf wars and all that shit was going on. So it was a trek. Right now, the group was me, Tony, Tony's girlfriend or crush at the time. I I had a crush on her, but she was Tony's girlfriend. Uh, Jasmine. How'd right? that work out? I mean, it never worked out. I never, you know, I was never with Jasmine. You know what I'm saying? It was like you know childhood thing. So nothing, nothing crazy. Fucking. Uh, so me, Tony, my godbrother Sean, um, Jasmine. And our boy, um, I'm going to call him JV for this, right? So now we all go, we walking, right? Now we got to get to 106th Street and 3rd Avenue. That's where we got to go. So it's literally like a, it's like an L. You know, we, we, we move like a knight, you know what I'm saying? On chessboard, you know, my, the knight moves in the L shape. That's all we got to do. Now the better move is to walk straight down to 3rd Avenue and then walk down the streets. That's the best way. Old smart-ass Tom wa- wants to go to Park Avenue and then make the right. So we go to Park Avenue, and then we make the right. Now, our boy JV, who's one of my best friends, I love that kid. Fucking, he's the type of guy that'll fight. He, he will fight an army of people. You know what I'm saying? He's always had a problem. If you got a problem with him, he got a problem with you, and he's never been... um like subtle about his problems, right? So we get up to a hundred and like six or hundred and ninth. Can't remember. I think it's like a hundred. No, it's further than that. Maybe a hundred and seventh, hundred seven, hundred six, right? Funny enough, there's like a police station a block away. Twenty kids. I know you probably going like, why is it always intervals of twenty? We rode deep in Harlem. So they was like, yo. That's insert name here. Get them niggas. So now, this time, it's me, JV, Tone, Sean, and Jasmine. It's 5v20. But now, it's really 4 because Jasmine's a girl. So now, we standing there. And nigga, I saw my life flash before my eyes. Because you got... Like, there's a whole bunch of black Puerto Rican kids, and these niggas are running at us with their shirts off. You know what I'm saying? So, in the summertime, when dudes have their shirts off, that's it's, that means it's really, really hot. So, your temper is already, like, higher than it, than it usually is, and your patience is lower. So, they're running at us, right? So, Sean, Tony, and JV 
turn around and they haul ass. I felt guilty because Jasmine was with us and Jasmine was heavy set. And I didn't just want to run and leave Jasmine. So I thought, all right, fuck, I can't leave Jasmine. So I should stand and fight. Took my belt off, right? And wrapped it around my hands. I was like, whoever the fuck get to me first, I'm going, I'm going straight granddad on these motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? I'm hitting you with the buckle, nigga. I am not playing. So, like, that was a good idea in my head. But now I look up and there's five people surrounding me. And they're like, why you ain't run? Why you ain't run? Nigga, I looked at Jasmine and I gave her that look like, I'm sorry. I love you. Shoom! Turned and darted in the other fucking direction, right? So we lose these motherfuckers. And uh, my god brother, he, we running through one particular project. This nigga screaming up, trying to see if his cousins will come downstairs. But again, we, we, we run it. So we get back to our block. And once we got back to our block, we relaxed. It's like, well, if you come over here, there's going to be all types of action. But thankfully, nothing, um, nothing happened. It was all resolved. Wow. Yeah. Fun times. Fun times. And uh, I got another one. All right, go for it. Go for it. Um, so <laughs> one, um, one of my homies, God bless his uh, soul and whatnot. But um, I've been doing comedy since I was 14, right? I never ventured out into any of like, the gangster shit. It's not my life. Never good. Never good at it. Never tried to be good at it. Not my thing. I'm a video game head and a fucking shit talker. So one of my boys, he wanted to come to a show. I was like, all right, man, cool. Come to the show. So we go to the show. He comes downstairs. And there's something about like people that you grew up with that even though they live a lifestyle that's like different from yours, you go, oh, that's love. And they show it in weird ways. So we meet up. It's like my show is at 11. It's like 9.30 now. We meet up in the lobby. This motherfucker comes downstairs, got, has on his leather jacket, you know what I'm saying? He's like, all right, bro, we out. And then this nigga taps his pocket. He's like, oh, shit, I got to go back upstairs. So he goes upstairs. He comes back. He's still dressed the same. I was like, so I'm thinking he picked up his money. He forgot his wallet or some shit. He's like, oh, okay. I was like, what you went, went upstairs for? He's like, nigga, I forgot my gun was in my pocket. So he took his gun upstairs and put it, like, somewhere. And, you know, I was like, well, shit, you had it this far already. We could have just gotten a fucking cab. Like, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? What what you took it back for? He was like, nah, bro, you know, I ain't know if they check patty people down at comedy clubs. And I don't want to fuck your thing up. It's like, aw. <laughs> aw that's, that's true love. But that's fucking amazing. Wow. You know what I'm saying? But uh Do you yeah. do you have any um friends from when you grew up that are also in comedy? Um or are no, you the only one? No, I'm the only one doing stand up. Thank God. They're all so much funnier than I am. <laughs> Did you uh because one of the things that I read about you was that you actually, it was on your first day of high school that you kind of did your yep. first comedic mm-hmm. act mm-hmm. where I, I think what I read was that you had a, your school teacher was like, do any of you have like a special talent? And you yes. were just kind of like, all right, like you we're just kind of so, did on look, the go. Yeah, this is some, stand up is something that I'd never tried. I had always been a fan. I'd always watched it. You know what I mean? So it was always on at the house. I was always like, I was a big sitcom kid. I watched every sitcom, black and white. They came out in, like, my era from, like, I was born in 93. So anything that came out early 90s, mid-90s to about the mid and late 2000s, you know, up to about maybe 2009, where I stopped, like, excuse me, where I stopped watching um, sitcoms, right? So 
I was always a fan. I never thought it'd be something I'd do. I always thought I'd be a teacher or something like that. So orientation, right? Because, you know, it's two days in high school. So you got the first day, that's orientation. Then the next Where'd you day, go to high school? Uh, Bronx High School for Rank Communication Arts up in um, Evander Child's campus. 800 East Gun Hill Road, baby. Long live Bushwalker. B-H-S-W-C-A for those that don't know. But I, um, I met a kid in orientation that's funnier than I am. He's my best friend to this day. His name is Rodney, Rodney Taylor, right? And Rodney, it's, it's one of those things where it's like this motherfucker kind of looks like me and he sounds just like me. There were so many people that thought we were brothers in high school. And that was from the very first day. So now, I'd always been the funny kid in school. I was never class clown. I was never, I, that was never me. You know what I'm saying? I was a little too stiff to be class clown. But I was always funny and I was a bit of a, I was definitely a smart aleck, right? So having said that, that was always my identity in school. So now I'm in high school and first day I'm, I'm meeting somebody that's way funnier in conversation than I am and they fucking sound like me. So I had that weird like epiphany in my head. I was like, I ain't going to get no pussy while I'm here in high school. I'm going to get no pussy like. So the folks that's listening to this, you can't see the magic of what's happening now, but I'm showing Felix a picture of me, my boy Ryan, and my boy Rodney. Now, I want you to tell me if it doesn't look like I'm in two places in this picture. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. That's like your twin. Right. Josh. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like I'm in two places in this picture, right? So having said that, that was um that like threw me for loops. I was like, shit, this nigga looks like me. He's funnier than I am. There's this girl named Crystal. And first day of school, we all sitting in the hall and we talking. It's me, Rod, um, my eighth grade girlfriend's brother, John. We sitting in the hallway, and I had like, you know, that little first day crush on Crystal. And every time Rodney would say something, this bitch would be like, ah, ah, ah. And every time I say something, she's like, ah, uh, what you said, Rodney? Ah, ah, ah. So I was like, man, I'm taking L's all over the place. So now the next day comes along, and we're, um, we're in advisory class. I don't know if your schools did that, but advisory class was like last period of the day. So you either had advisory or you had gym, right? And in advisory, you were basically um, like, if you, it was literally that, just advisory. Fucking, it was almost like a free period, but they needed to justify a reason for it being there. So Ms. Richardson wanted to get to know the kids. And she said, does anybody in here have a talent? So there was a girl named Esther Tejeda who got in front of the class and sung a song. As Esther is singing a song, I don't know if you believe in callings, but as Esther singing a song, something in my mind goes, yo, go tell jokes. Legit, not bullshit. No prior thought ever, ever given to, given to it. Go tell jokes. So I raise my hand. I go up and I tell jokes. I didn't know what you called it. You know, I didn't know that was called being a comedian. But I go up. I tell some jokes, and it worked. And whatever that feeling was of saying something and getting the laugh in that moment, in the fucking like, just how everybody treated you after, I fell in love with that immediately and that was september 14 2007 and i've been doing comedy ever since then i read that you do over 500 shows a year yes sir how how will you kind of take us through your your schedule and kind of what it's like as a as a young comedian on like on that grind okay 
So um, when I started out, I didn't know, like, you'll see I walk around with, like, a calendar, right? And this is from 2019. And I'll put how many shows I do at the bottom, right? So in January, let's say that's 30. Now, this one actually turned out to be 44 in February. And then 35 in March. And then that number goes up. Like, the summer is usually really crazy. So, like, last month I did 60. You know what I'm saying? And I've always I've always kept that kind of pace. So, when I was first, first starting, it wasn't um, shows. It was open mics. So, basically, you're just getting up on stage. So, I did it in school for the first six months. So, that's September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Yes, March. Because it was Easter of 08. And my teacher was like, have you ever done an open mic? I always thought you had to go to, like, school to do this. You know, I thought, like, Martin Lawrence on them with, like, Harvard or some shit like that. So when I found out you can just go to a comedy club and try it, I, I didn't have cable at the time, so I went over to the Children's Aid Society, and they let me sign in on the computer. I looked up open mics in New York City, and I saw a high comedy club had one on, that was going to be Tuesday. Stand Up New York had one on Wednesday. So I go, and I sign up. I do my thing. I sucked. I said, okay, it'll never be that bad again. And I kept going to the mic. So in my first um, two years, so that's 2007-09, I probably spent $2,000 in open mics, and it's $5 a mic. So whatever that math ends up being. And then when I started doing shows, it would be like maybe I'd be doing like 10, 15 shows in a month, but then 30 open mics in a month. And then the number of shows just start growing and growing and growing. And when I was free minutes, please, if you think I'm doing a lot of shows now, when I was free minutes, when I wasn't getting paid, whoo, because that's everything is open for you then. You know what I mean? You're just happy to be anywhere that you'll do anything and you'll make as many stops as you can. But, um, you know, the grind is the grind is beautiful because the product is usually beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not as much grinding as you're sharpening something, you know. And some people feel like, well, there's only so much you can sharpen before you don't have anything left. And it's like, nah, that's not true. It's an eternal pencil. You're, you can only stop when you're dead. You know what I mean? Until then, it's eternal. You should, and it's all up to you. You can take as many shows on as you want. You can turn down as many shows as you want. It's all up to you. You're your own boss. So. And what did your family say and your, and your friends when you started doing all these open mics and, and a few well, shows as it kept going? Nobody was, um, my friends, nobody was surprised. Because think about it, if you knew me in high school, right? Because it's the you that you are and the you that your parents see. So the me that I am, to my friends in school, it only made sense. I had been doing comedy since they literally first met me, right? To my parents, they didn't know what I was doing. Like I'm pretty sure my mom thought I had a weed habit. You know what I'm saying? I'm gone like, after I come from school and I'm asking for $5 every fucking day. So, and I'm not coming home until, like, 9. So, I think when she found out, she was shocked. Like, if you ever, if like, to anybody listening, if you ever kept look it up, I did a documentary when I was 17 called One Mike. And a friend of mine went to um, a college in Buffalo. He was on a film project to um, graduate. And he made me one of the subjects of this documentary. And one of the things my mom says that we were shocked. You know what I'm saying? Because we had never heard him. We never heard him tell a joke. We had never heard him curse. We was really shy. So one thing about me is that I was always like a shy kid. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't, um, I would talk all day long. But if you put me around people, I would clam up. You know, 
And there's a part of me that's still kind of like that in certain social situations. But I was always an observer. I could people watch my ass off. Like, I could have a whole routine on you just after if I let you and Josh just sit here and be for 10 minutes. And I'd be able to run with that. And you would think I'd known you for years. So I've always had that. I've always been that type of observer or nosy, whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, man, I, uh, I don't know. Did you know that you wanted to be a comedian or were you just like trying to find a little bit your ground and see if this was something as that soon, you were interested in? As soon as I found it. As soon as I found it. It wasn't even a fucking question. As soon as I got that first laugh, I was hooked. And what about... And, and the thing that my parents said, so... Because um, you know how you talk so long, you forget the question. The thing that my parents said was, um, I remember after um, high school was over, I was already a professional comic. and Because I've never worked a standard job wow. ever in my life. I've only ever supported myself off of doing stand-up. I've only ever supported my family from doing stand-up. So, you know, that's always just been the case by the grace of God, knock on wood. I'm very, um, I'm very enthusiastic and I'm very, um, like, proud of that. You know, it's also, it also scares me to death, but I'm very proud of that. My mom was like, you know, she wanted me to, like, try out college I never wanted to go to college when I seen how much student loan debt you could fall in without ever finding what you, what you really want to do. But And my dad was like, um, if you're going to do it, just do it. But just make sure you're the fucking best at it and make sure you hustle hard. Did if, you, you, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. Did you ever have any doubts? No. No, not at all. About doing stand-up? About if... If you could provide for yourself, if you could make a career for yourself, if you could actually find what you would hope to find in comedy. Oh, yeah. That stuff happens a good amount. You know what I'm saying? But history tends to repeat itself. And I know every time things have gotten hard, it always worked out. You know, so there's been times where I've been like, man, I might have to go get a real job. When grandma died and they took the rent and they quadrupled that shit. And I was the only one that was working. And I'm working as a comedian that's 21 years old. And it's like, fuck, man, I'm going to have to go and find me a job. And I ain't never worked before. So my my resume going to be at the bottom of the fucking bottom. And nope, didn't have to do that. That was back in 2014, knock on wood. You, you know? uh, I read also kind of the impact that your grandmother had on you. Yes. Talk yes, about yes. it a little bit. Oh, man, you're going to be great on television, bro. I'm sitting with young Oprah over here. <laughs> you know, I get misty talking about grandma. So, um, I can even tell you a quote grandma said. Uh-huh. Knock him dead, kill him. Oh, God, this guy's good. <laughs> so um, when my, my mom has always been very close with her mom, you know what I'm saying? And my mom did the most gangster shit ever when her mom had, because um, grandma was going to leave Harlem and move up to the Bronx with us, right? And that, that was the plan. So, unfortunately, Grandma happened to have had a stroke, and she couldn't move as good as she used to, and we lived in a walk-up. So, when that happened, my mom gave up everything, and I mean everything, to take care of her mom. Gave up a good job at the post office, gave up her apartment in the Bronx, and her and my pops had broken up maybe a couple years before that. So, we went down to Harlem to take care of Grandma. I still went to school in the Bronx and all that, all that good stuff, right? So... For about 12 years, from the time that I was, so 21 minus 12, whatever that number is, um, we were in Harlem taking care of Grandma. And so when Grandma passed, it was out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And that medicine, um, what you call that shit, causes ulcers. What the fuck is it called? God 
damn it. It's on commercials all the time. It's going to pop into my head. But if I could get my hands on one of you motherfuckers that created it, I would end your life with absolutely no sympathy. Because that shit killed my grandmother. You know what I'm saying? So it was um, just a sweet old lady. Like there's, there's nothing else I can even think to add to that. Sweet old lady and strong. She, nev- she was never in pain. You know what I mean? Always had a sweet disposition. And it's a gift that she gave my mom that she can find the beauty in the most complicated of people. You know, something that I like to think I have a trait of, but she could find beauty in some of the the, the oddest human beings you ever want to know. And I think having people like her, people like my mom, people like my dad, people like my brother, it gave me a perspective that I don't think a lot of people get to get. Like, people tell me I'm mature at the time. It's like, nah, I'm childish as shit. But I'm just um, lucky to have had those types of people around me that have seen so many different sides of life. Because my grandma lived to 88 years old, and it's like, and she's probably older than that because she's born on paper in 1925, but I think I, I think my grandma was probably pushing like 94 because this is before they kept records on black people when they were actually birthed. You know, they'd come out, okay, uh, what's her name? Okay, uh, Josie, all right, um, 1925. And do it like that because they were being born through like midwives and stuff like that back then. So... I want to say, according to my mom, my grandma was probably pushing 94, right? So, um, but yeah, we took full care of her. Like, you know, I wiped my grandma's ass for years. You know what I'm saying? We really took care of her. And I give my mom eternal credit for being the type of woman to do something like that because she went into home care after and you find out a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They'll send their parents to these fucking nursing homes where people could care less. You know what I mean? Grandkids only come to see their grandparents maybe three times a year but uh, spend all their money and all that stuff. And these old people really get this big mistreatment in those places, and we weren't going for that. But, um, yeah, I miss Grandma every day. When she passed away, I probably went through a six-month depression where nothing really made sense to me. You know what I'm saying? I was mad at everything, the girls that I was with. I just, I it, from that point on where I don't think I've gotten close to anybody as far as, like, relationships are concerned, just because it's like, well, one of my best relationships... Ever, because she was, I called her, um, fucking her and my mom, I called my two sons, you know what I'm saying? Like, those are my two shining lights. So when I lost grandma, that shit was a big blow, because, like, she was 88, so you don't think they're going to live forever, but you're never ready for them to go, and the way she went. So we we thought something was wrong, but we couldn't fucking place it. We didn't know what it was, you know what I mean? She was talking about she was in pain, but we didn't know what. It was like, does your head hurt? No. Does your uh, stomach hurt? She's like, I just feel sick. I just feel sick. But we couldn't tell what it was. So her behavior was a little off. And so the day that she was going to, um, she was going to the doctor that day. She was going to the doctor. She's in a wheelchair. She's dressed to go to the doctor. And next thing you know, she, we thought she was asleep because she was asleep like this. And her lip was out. And her lip was like white. You know what I'm saying? So my mom saw that and registered that something was wrong. So she didn't want to alarm me, but I'm very easily alarmed. When it, when it comes to them, like, I have no, um, my fuse is, is non-existent. When it comes to my mom, when it comes to my grandparents, when it comes to my brother, I have no, um, all, all logic is gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you ever, if you bump into my mom, I'm ready to kill you. It goes from zero to a thousand. And there's nothing in between. So when we saw that, 
We put on the floor. Uh, they call it 911. I get to do on the mouth to mouth and the compressions and all that shit, right? So now, because we think she had a heart attack. She's had a heart attack before, before I was born. And no, 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 I'm lying. After my granddaddy passed away, but I was too young to remember. So we're thinking it's a heart attack, right? And they bring her back or whatever the fuck. They take her to the hospital. She's in Mount Sinai. She's on life support. I run down to the hospital. And this is when I've never seen my mom break down ever in my life. And when the doctor came over, and I Thank God it happened the way it happened. Otherwise, I'd be in jail for, if not murder, assault. Because I was going to choke the life out of him. Because he basically told my mom that my grandma was was dying or dead, was dying, with the same way I would tell you the time. His bedside manner was very much non-existent. And if my mom didn't do what she did, I was going to beat the living shit out of this man. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I remember I was, I was saying that to someone, it was like, well, maybe that was just because he was delivering that news. No, here was his tone. So you guys might want to make reparations because her heart has, has stopped once and we don't think we'll be able to bring it back again if it stops again. So you're going to have to make your reparations. You have reparations. You have to make your, um, make your um, shit. Get your affairs in order, basically. And he said it's so cold. And he just like cut it off and was going back to his day. Literally, my hand was raising to grab this little motherfucker. And my mom said, I can't do it justice. Like I, when I write the movie about it one day, fucking I'll find an actress that could do it. But the line was, oh my, right? There was so much pain in my mother's fucking voice as she said that. It snapped me out of everything. She fell over her mom, right? And because they hadn't took grandma off the ventilator yet. She fell over her and just like, love is one of those weird emotions when you see when you see it poured out. Like people use the term like pouring out love. It's something to see when you actually see it. I've never seen that before. You know what I mean? So it shocked me. And that same night, I remember, because um, my grandma would tell me every day before a show, Knock him dead, baby. Kill him, right? That's what she always said. And I had a show scheduled that night at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. You couldn't, there, there is no more volatile time in my life that I can directly, like, think of. So I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go. But my dad was like, she wouldn't want you to stay in the house. She wouldn't want that. She wouldn't want you to miss the show. So I go out. Excuse me. And I'm numb. I'm crying every two minutes. And I and it ain't that like, you know, that strong cry with like that one single tear fall. It's raining out of my eyes. My blood pressure was probably like 179 over 109. Like everything was on. I, I, I was a different fucking person. So I get down to the comedy club, and I was so sensitive about the topic because, of course, I put up, like, you know, Grandma passed. And there's a comic. She asked me, you know, like, how old was was she, right? Or, like, what was the cause? And I was like, just don't. Yeah, just don't. Don't say anything to me. So for six, there was a six-month period where, like, personally, if you weren't directly related to me, I had really nothing for you. 
like I had nothing. I had no um I'ma sound like Aretha one like Aretha Franklin, one of her songs, but I ain't had no love to give. You know what I'm saying? I ain't had no love to give. And all my attention was just like home, family, and stand up. You know. So um but gra- grandma taught me a couple things. Grandma taught me how to um how to love and how to depend on the people you love. You know. So for that, I'm forever grateful. Josie Jameson is a goddamn saint. And do you have how do you first of all, how is that show that you did on that night? How do you how do you get through a I mean, that that's a specific this is, this is something that I don't think people quite understand. Where it's like and that's why I get so fucking angry at people that like get offended and angry at comedy where it's like fuck you even if i don't care if the comedy that you went to watch is saying i don't care if you saw michael richard kramer on the night when he said nigga a hundred times you don't know what it's like to have to experience because me losing my grandma right now that's one of the two grandmas that i had left i got one grandma left so if life goes part of course that it should go in a perfect world I'm going to lose everybody that I fuck, because I'm the youngest. I'm going to lose everybody that I fucking care about. And I still have to make you laugh. You don't know what type of day a comic has before they come and see you. And it's not like every other job, you know what I mean, where I have to directly satisfy you. Whereas a comedian, I have to directly satisfy you as much as I can within the interval of time that I'm in front of you. So... You don't know when you're seeing somebody. There's another comedian by the name of Artie Fuqua who's one of the strongest just men that I know. That dude lost his son. And, and I, as a matter of fact, you know, I think, it's, um, I think it's Jamal's birthday. If not today, maybe yesterday. So shout-outs to Artie Fuqua. Um, he lost his son because he was one of the people that I, like, thought about to try to make sense of my situation. And I never told him this, but... He would come up in my mind a lot because he lost his son. And his son looked just like him. It's fucking cruel how much his son looked like him. He lost his son. And then like six months later, he's back to performing. I can't even fucking imagine that. Like, my grandma's my grandma, but I didn't make my grandma. You know what I mean? So I could love my grandmother as much as I love my grandma, which is the fucking world over. But I don't know if that equates to the... um love that a direct parent has to their child and watching my mom break down the way she broke down and the pain she felt when she broke down gave me like some perspective on what somebody like an Artie could be feeling, but it's the opposite. You know what I'm saying? You lost the one thing that you, you know, a parent's supposed to protect their kid. So I would think about him and how he would go on stage as an MC. He's the master of ceremonies and no matter what he was feeling on the inside, he made you you didn't know it, you know. So it was people like that that I thought about. Um, the set that night went as good as it could have gone. I remember getting laughs. I remember I was only happy on that stage. As soon as I said good night, I'm walking off the stage, crying. They didn't know it, you know what I'm saying. I was bawling. When I got off stage. Is comedy, would you say it's an outlet for you? Uh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have many. You know what I mean? I have many. It's, but it's more, it's more than just an outlet. It's everything for me. My entire foundation, all of it is built off of the fact that I get to stand up on the stage and tell jokes to groups of people that I've never met before. Are there any comedians that 
Well, what was the first time that you met like one of your maybe idol comedians? So the first time I met Chris Rock, I was um, recording One Mike the Documentary. And I was supposed to go up on the 10 o'clock show at Stand Up New York. And I had a guest spot. David Tell walks in. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's David Tell. Now, I always knew that David Tell and Chris Rock were friends, right? Just through like folklore and all that stuff. Chris Rock was doing that play, Motherfucker in the Hat. So there was this very skinny black man who looked almost homeless who had on a Kango and a long beard. and But the fucking silhouette, because it was like that square head, you know what I mean? Fucking skinny. He walked in, and it's Chris Rock. I started shaking. I started shaking. So I'm like, oh, shit, he's over there. I got to say something. My boy Ryan is, uh, he's like, Bro, that's Chris Rock. Yeah, I know. I know, I know. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to say something. I didn't want to bother him. You know what I mean? I didn't, because I, my, the last thing I wanted was like, go say, I, I didn't want to have a bad experience. You know what I mean? So I'm 17. I'm like, holy shit, that's Chris Rock. Holy shit, that's Chris Rock. Holy shit. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. So Stand Up New York has like a little um, back way, like if you want to go from the bar to the bathroom. So I walked in there. I'm like, all right, okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. All right, fuck, go, go. So I walk over, I walk around, walk to the showroom. I, I just went up to him and said, hey, hey, man. Uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're one of my heroes, man. Just thank you for everything you've done. And he put his hand out to my hand. He said, thank you. And that's all he had to do. First of all, the motherfucker, I don't know what $100 million feels like, but his hands feel like $100 million. His hands are way too goddamn soft. You know what I'm saying? It was like touching a Tempur-Pedic pillow. It was ridiculous. So I shook his hand. I go back to the bar, happy as hell. The second time I meet Chris Rock, fucking, not to sound like Dave Chappelle when you were talking about when he met OJ, but second time I met Chris Rock, I went to Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, and I've seen him a couple times since, and it, I, I doubt he... Have you met Dave? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Dave uh, twice. So the first time I met Dave, there's a comedian named Joelle Johnson. Shout out, Joelle. My mom still wants a lawn chair. Um, I met him at Olive Tree, so... I didn't know he had gained, like, weight. Like, not even weight. He gained muscle. Like, he looks like a Man, ninja. He's looking jacked. He looks like a fucking ninja turtle. You understand? So, and he's another one. He's my top three. You know what I'm saying? It's him, Chris Rock, and Cat Williams. And I, I haven't met Cat in person yet, and I really, really want to meet Cat Williams in person. But um, I go upstairs to Isle Tree Cafe, which is right above the comedy cellar, and I see Joyelle sitting. So, you know, you come, you come into the cellar, you can see all the people that are sitting, like, facing the door. All the people that had their backs to the door, you don't know who they are. So I see like a bald head person in front of them. I can tell they're black, but they're brolic. So, and I knew she was friends with Dave Chappelle, but this guy is fucking huge. So that can't be him. So I reach over Dave Chappelle's head to say hello to Joyelle. And this motherfucker looked up. And I'm, I, and she's like, Nico, this is Dave. Dave, this is Nico. He was nice enough. He shook my hand, right? I go over to my table. Um... There was another time where he just so happened to be walking out of Comedy Cellar, right? Walking down to Olive Tree. And he stopped. It was me and a group of uh, friends, a bunch of comics. And he just talked shit with us for like five minutes. Of course, this is all things he probably would never remember. Like even if I told him next time I see him. But it stuck with us. One of my boy, he was like, you know, I think about if I should move, you know, get an apartment here in the city and move back for a little bit. And my boy, Jeffrey Katzman, at the time, he was like, uh, yeah, man, you should come back. We fucking love y'all. He's like, oh, you know, thanks. And then he walked to the uh, he walked to the top of the stairs before he walked out. He said, "Well, I hope that one day I'll get to critique you guys' work." 
And he's like, I'm just fucking with you. Have a good night. <laughs> so he walks out. So the sec- that second time I met him, uh, the third time I met him and the second time I meet Chris Rock, I went to see the show with Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, the Radio City Music Hall, right? And I wasn't going to go because those tickets were uber fucking expensive. And I don't pay for comedy shows, you know, just most times. Um, and these tickets were really, really expensive. So my managers at the time had, like, I don't know what they what it was or how, but they had connects. If I wanted a ticket to, like, go to see something, they could get it for me. But they couldn't get this one, but they got, like, a very good dis- discount. So instead of $500, the tickets were, like, 200 and I wanted to take this girl, but I'm not paying $400 for any fucking thing. So I asked my mom about it. She's like, look, you don't really get much for yourself. You know what I'm saying? You pay your bills. You take care of things you got to take care of. It's not like you, you know, you go out much. And they're getting older. You know, niggas die every day. So you don't know who to say this won't be your only chance. So if you get to go see them, go see them. So I paid the 200 dollars for the ticket. Got good seats to at Radio City. I go see him and Chris Rock. Fucking Arsenio Hall, all them, they murdered. And my mom said this, she said, because you know what? You might even make it backstage. I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever, if you say so. So now the show's over. I'm walking out. There's a comedian by the name of Jeffrey Joseph. I see Jeffrey. Jeffrey's like, yo, Nico, what's going on, man? So we talk for a second. He's like, who you came in with? I was like, ah, oh, it's just me. He's like, oh, okay, where you going? I said, shit, I think I'm, I'm feeling head home. He's like, I work. Come with me. We can go backstage. Oh, well, cool. So, go backstage. Backstage, I see a couple comedians that I know. You know what I'm saying? We talking shit. Then Jeffrey's like, all right, bro, I'm going to take you to the red room. I said, red room? What type of fucking Illuminati shit is this? Fuck you mean, red room? He was like, nah, I'm taking to meet Chris Rock. <gasps> well, let me make sure my shirt ain't wrinkled. I'm about to go have an audience with the king. All right. So, we going up the elevator, right? And I was, I turned right back into that 17-year-old kid again, fucking just shaking. But not like outwardly, but like my heart is going a thousand miles a minute. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I definitely hope he's not rude. I hope he's not rude. I hope he's not rude. Cause that's still my hero. I hope he's not rude. I hope he's not rude. I um we get upstairs. This is Chris Rock's door. So if already I'm gonna go like meet Chris Rock, if that's not nerve-wracking enough. Arsenio Hall and Larry Wilmore are standing at the fucking door. So now Larry Wilmore is like one of the co-creators of the Bernie Mac show. Bernie Mac is one of my fucking heroes. Arsenio Hall is Arsenio Hall. Between the two of them, that's enough comedy history and importance and sense of sense of an aura that can knock a weak person unconscious. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, oh, oh holy shit. Uh, you know, our sis, I think you're amazed. That's Larry Wilmore. I was a big fan. He introduced me to Chris Rock. Chris Rock was talking to some white man. It was definitely about money. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what they were talking about, but you tell that white dude has some paper. You know? So, again, really chill. Shook my hand. Fucking left it at that, and I'm fine with that. He owed me nothing. You know what I'm saying? But I thought it was really cool. We're going to take a quick break because we got to give a shout out to Manscaped. Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for all of your family jewels. Nico, you have any manscaping uh, stories for us? Yeah, that shit itches. <laughs> like, 
I ain't got no like stories and just itches. I remember one time I had to use I I didn't have to do shit because I don't grow a lot of hair. Like the hair that's on my arm is pretty powerful, coarse, or how it goes. But like right there under the belt, the pubic area, that shit. Like after a while, I was like, you know, I could use less of this. You know what I mean? So I was taking a shower, and my mom had like, you know, whatever her shit is, the fucking blades or whatever. So. I just happened to see one. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Took some soap, put on, fucking shaved off, and it was clean. But the itch that followed afterwards, God damn it. Well, lucky for you, mm-hmm. Manscaped has rede- redesigned the electric trimmer. Oh. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. I mean, I'm not shaving my balls. I'll be quite honest. I, I appreciate you, Manscaped. Did I say it right? You did say it right. Look, folks at Manscaped, I'd just like you to know that um, I got a podcast also that could use some um, sponsorships, so, you know, holler at us. <laughs> and it's about Harry Potter. We can, I, man, the promo that I can make for you motherfuckers is out of this world. Like, I mean, I'm glad to be here on Where's This Going, but I'll tell you where you going, Manscaped, and that's to the Potterhood Podcast. You understand me? Shout out to Potterhood Podcast. Hosted by Nico White and Will Posnan. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Manscaped. Manscaping accidents are finally the thing of the past. Please do not use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls. And stop shaving your balls, bro. Like, what's happening out here? Like, nobody has enough nut hair to where you can get me to believe you need to shave your balls. Yeah. Oh, 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 I mean, maybe, or maybe, maybe you do. I, I know I don't. You know what I'm saying? My balls are damn near smooth. I, I don't know what in the fuck y'all were talking about. Manscaped. But shout out to Manscaped. What else do they get? They also have the Crop Preserver. I don't even know what that means. I got you. It's the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. No! Oh, wait, no, let me... No, I'm sorry. <clears throat> yes, yes, absolutely. You need a ball deodorant. I mean, if you already put deodorant on your armpits, why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? That's not the smelliest part of my body. What? What, 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 what's happening? Okay, look, t- time out. Look, I know we got to you know, pay the bills. You know what I'm saying? And are, are, is that, are you done paying the bills? <laughs> no, we got one more thing to say. Finish paying the bills. If you use promo code WTG, you will receive 20% off and free shipping on everything on manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. And Nico, apparently your balls will thank you. I mean, my balls don't need to thank me. My balls don't have a smell where I need to put deodorant on them. That's the the only part that shocked me because I know Manscaped wouldn't make a product unless people need a product. And because if you know about Manscaped, they're on point. You don't just get a fucking uh, pubic razor that's lawnmower. If they call that shit the lawnmower, it does what it's supposed to do. I'm just simply letting it be known that, um, niggas, if you need to put deodorant on your balls, just go get them cut off, bruh. Like, for real, go get them cut off. You, that, they're, they're enemies of the state. That's fucking insane. It, it is, but some people apparently need it. Let's move on. Let's move on. Anyway. That, bro, that's fucking <laughs> insanity. Like, what are we even talking about? I don't know. You mean to tell me that motherfuckers are putting degree <laughs> on their nuts out here? Do you know how sad your fucking life is if you have to put deodorant on your balls? 
You don't deserve, like, you don't deserve a girlfriend. You don't deserve a boyfriend. You don't deserve anything that you're fucking into. If you sitting here and you telling me, Felix, you got to use deodorant on your balls, bro? <laughs> don't just laugh. Answer the question. Do you have to put deodorant on your nuts? Personally, I haven't, no. You haven't. Josh, do you have to put deodorant on your nuts? Speak up, Josh. You might have to be one of those people. And then stop wearing fucking shorts while you're out. I don't want the smell to leak through the goddamn shorts. <laughs> Motherfuckers, this is nasty. What kind of life are you living? What, what, what constitutes the need of ball deodorant? Like the snitch is that bad? <laughs> what are you doing with them? Working where, nigga? What are you talking about? This motherfucker just said, I be working. Working where? Do you pick cotton? What are you talking about? Martin Luther King and everybody in that generation did not have ball deodorant. And they walked the entire Washington fucking monument. No, I'm furious. Something needs to be done. Because that's just insane. All the stuff that we put women through on how... Because pussy damn near has to smell like strawberries before you fucking eat it. Meanwhile, niggas like you walking out here needing ball deodorant. You got a girlfriend, bro? You got a wife. Your wife needs to fucking do better. What, what, what's wifey's name, bro? What is wifey's name, Josh? We'll call it Jessica. Look, Josh's wife, if you can hear me, I wish I knew your name because I would speak to you properly with the respect that you deserve. They need to send you a purple heart for the fucking sacrifice that you go through every day to be with a dude that said he has to wear ball deodorant. What's Don't make kids. Do y'all have kids already? Don't make any kids. Because that shit might pass down. If you have a son, it's going to be ball snatching. If you, oh, God, if you have a daughter. Don't procreate with this human being. He has a gene for stink-ass nuts. Like, what's happening, bro? Dude, I think we got to get Manscaped on your on Potter Podcast. Potterhood, the Potterhood Podcast. This shit is outrageous. Because, man, Manscaping, much like the Harry Potter world, is magic, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I might hear crying. Yo, 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 yo. Why are you committing crimes like this, man? I, no, that's not genetic. That is not genetic. Call your mom right now and ask her if your dad's balls stink. To the point where they need deodorant. Now, nah, fuck the camera, man. Call her. Yo, who the fuck, who the fuck needs to put deodorant oh on their nuts? I don't even know how you would even prepare yourself. I would commit suicide if I had to prepare myself for that type of activity. The way I had to pop a cap off of some deodorant <laughs> and bend my knees to get the nooks and crannies of my sack because it smells that bad. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. All right. Whew. We got to get Manscaped. I think it's coming, it's coming to you soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, yeah. before we before we get going. No, 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 we need to get going. Because no. <laughs> this is insanity. I feel betrayed. You know what I'm saying? Y'all got this nigga. Because <laughs> Josh poured my water. I don't trust people who are so irresponsible that they need to have ball deodorant to be anywhere around anything that I have to ingest. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ooh. Anyways, from here, right? You're 26 right now? I'm 26, yes, sir. 
what do you, I mean, you know, you talk about all your idols, Chappelle, mm -hmm. Cat Williams. Mm -hmm. You're also uh, good friends with Donnell Rawlings? Know him? Donnell Rawlings was the only comedian, is the only comedian that I consider a mentor. Never with, um, he never tried to be, but he was really good to me when I was starting out. And I learned a lot from watching him as far as like, this is what it means to be a headliner. He showed me what um what it should look like when a comedian really appreciates his audience. And just from watching him from afar, as far as like, as he's getting older, his career is getting better. And that's not usually how you see it. So like, nothing but the most respect for Donnell Rollins. And for you, I mean, you're a true grinder. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're willing to put in, I mean, you, you know, mm -hmm. 500 shows a year. Yeah. What do you do? You have some goals for yourself. What do you hope? Do you hope to one one day have that Netflix special? I hope, What's what? What, I hope what do you to hope have for? the Netflix special? I hope to be the um kind of comedian that my heroes are. I hope there's um. I hope like in twenty years I'll have a good body of work that people could tangibly see and that like a very big group of people enjoyed, where I can draw people to places like a Radio City Music Hall, like a Madison Square Garden, and places like that across the country and across the world. I want to be that level of respected. I want it. I want there to be a young comic who's starting comedy that when he's around his friends and they talk about the best comedian of all time, that they'll make as much of an argument for Nico White as I make for Dave Chappelle, Cat Williams, and Chris Rock. How do you see yourself getting there? Um, doing um doing everything that I'm doing now and doing all the things that I might not be doing. You know what I'm saying? Whether that's being on TV more, whether that's acting and more stuff. Every and anything. I like it all. You know what I'm saying? I like every. I like most of the things that have to do with the business. The politics part of it, I don't even hate that part either. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like all that stuff is coming because the blade is getting sharper and sharper and sharper. So all those opportunities have never been like missed on me. And because it's always worked out. My, my, I've never not had confidence that it's going to work out. I had... As I told you earlier, I had Liz Mealy on yes. um, a few days ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And she talked about um, this really interesting kind of thing that she does. She's incredibly brutally honest with herself. Mm -hmm. She tapes everything that she does, every, basically every show. She listens to it again. just Because in her eyes, if you're not kind of self-reflecting and being honest with yourself that, okay, maybe I bombed tonight instead of trying to convince yourself you did well, yeah, yeah. you can't improve. Yeah. Do you have that same mentality? Do you look back at your work? How, what's your, how do you work through and make not only yourself better as a comedian, but make those jokes, as you say, sharper? Well, again, you got to be self-aware, right? You got to be so And Liz Millie is one of the best, so um, nothing but the most respect to her. Um, you have to be self-aware and you also have to know what you're getting at, right? So if you're somebody like me whose material is on, um, I do personal analysis, social commentary, and then some stuff that's just plain silly, right? So like I have a joke about how, oh, we only got a couple minutes left. I have a joke about how people, people say like, you know, I want to bring Martin Luther King back or if Martin Luther King were alive today, he'd be here marching with us. And the example that I use, there was this lady well, I and this isn't like, I'm not doing the joke, this is just what it was. So there was a trans person who was formerly female and then transitioned to being male. And they interviewed her and she did like a debut, like walk on Marshington. It wasn't like a big like march or anything, but it was just like her doing this for herself. And she was like, if Martin Luther King were alive today, he'd be here marching for us. So I wrote a joke in response to that about how I think it's funny that people just assumed that for people of the past. Because like if Martin Luther King were alive today, He'd be a 97-year-old black Baptist preacher 
from Montgomery, Alabama. And if you don't know anything about black Baptist preachers or Alabama, they're not the most tolerant of like alternative ways of living, right? And the joke ends up being nothing about like, because people think that joke is going in the direction of transphobia and it's going into the play on racism and what the civil rights movement was. Because if you remember, like I told you, this person transitioned from female to male. She just so happened, he just so happened to be white, right? Martin Luther King, if you know anything about the civil rights movement, who was his number one opposer? White men. So you think as a 97-year-old man, if they woke Martin Luther King up and told him he would have to go to Washington to defend a white dude, that he'd be for that shit? I don't know. I don't know if that's uh I don't know if that's how that works. I think there's also something about um in the comedy that I that I've watched of you. Um mm-hmm. you do and you know. Along the same lines of people like Dave Chappelle, in my opinion. Oh, wow. That's very nice. um, You're very good at integrating politics, Mm -hmm. but also twisting it in a way that even if you're attacking a sensitive subject, Mm -hmm. or in this case, talking about um, a trans person, Mm It's never you can you can feel it that it's right. never demeaning. You're never trying right. to attack a culture well, or a person or a or a group of people. And I think that that's but you, but you know ahead. what that comes from. And thank you for that. But you know what that comes from is that because they they weren't that they were never the target in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Like just in the last joke that I was telling you, the premise of it, I had a translator get mad at me, right? And she got she was pissed about the joke, and I said, "Well, the joke has nothing to do with um, trans people and everything to do with race." Because the way it, it's all in how you set it up, right? And sometimes, and what people don't understand is when a joke is new, you have to make it better so that they can understand it, right? But you don't get to tell me what my point is. You can only tell me as an audience member how you took it, right? All I can control is my intention and my execution. I can't control your perception. That's up to you to do with your information, right? If you stand close to an elephant, you might think it's smaller than what it actually is. So when she got mad at me, I was trying to tell her, I was like, look, the joke is about racism. It's about Martin Luther King came up in the civil rights era and white men brutalized him and killed him. You know what I mean? So in this case, because I set him up to be all for it, right? He's all for the march and all that shit. And then when he finds out he's going down there to march with a white dude, he's like, man, get the fuck out of here. It's that. So that was never the target. It was all to say that to talk about race. Do you have any like before we get before we ended up? Uh-huh. Uh huh. One of your worst stories, maybe. I mean, I'm sure you tour all around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, a worst story of a of a time you talk about a controversial political issue um, that there's a, a negative reaction from a, a fan afterwards or a- no? I would think um, maybe that when the when that joke was new. You know what I'm saying? That might be the closest thing to where I I only felt bad because the person thought like it was about their people. It's like, no, this joke is about race. You know what I'm saying? Because Martin Luther King in the joke, I set him up again, is being all for going down there to help trans people. He didn't want to help a white man because of the past of the civil rights movement and all that shit, you know? So I felt like, okay, if I didn't make that part strong enough, strong enough for you to get it, then that's on me. But you know, you know the beauty of it is? The joke is killing now. It even killed that night. You know what I'm saying? So it's just the it's the um it's the risk you take. Because again, I'm never gonna attack anybody for how they live their life. Who the fuck am I to do that? You know what I'm saying? I have a lisp, 
and I have a funny shaped head. Who the fuck am I to talk about how you live your life? You know what I mean? And I like to think that in my set, I'm fair enough to where I can talk about. So I had a joke about um when Caitlyn transitioned to um I watched Re- it yesterday. Regina, right? And it had nothing to do with her and all to do on the fucking how fake we are. Because when people go, oh, she's beautiful, it's like, okay, cool. So the mark of a beautiful person is if you tell somebody else they look like them and they take it as a compliment. And then you, when I would say that, right, I'd take the pause there and you could feel the room like it would start bubbling. Because like, yes, exactly, motherfucker. A hundred percent. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you told your girl that she looks like Caitlyn Jenner, she would punch you in the fucking face. You know, and that's not phobic or anything like that. That's just the actual, that's just the actuality of it all. So before you go throwing, um, is it an adjective or is beauty an adjective? So before you go throwing adjectives on people as if that's the definite thing, you can't just do that. The term white male privilege, I think is preposterous. But if you want to hear all those jokes in full, you have to come see me live. And that's exactly what I think everybody should do. I hope you can so. find you can find Nico on Instagram at Nico White93 on Twitter at Nico underscore white ninety-three. You have a website that is very well done. Thank you, sir. NicoWhite.com. He's and also, I mean, as as we mentioned earlier, he's always, always, always around New York and other mm-hmm. places as well, performing, but he is especially headlining. At New York Comedy Club, Friday, October 25th at 11.30 p.m., use promo code KANG, that's K-A-N-G. Yes, for the discount and also for my aforementioned social medias, make sure you spell that correctly. It's Nico White, that is N-E-K-O-W-H-I-T-E 93 on Instagram, N-E-K-O underscore White 93 on Twitter, and NicoWhite.com, that's N-E-K-O-W-H-I-T-E dot C-O-M. Brother yeah. Felix, thank you so much for having Nico, me, Nico, I believe that with your kind of work ethic and mm-hmm. your kind of comedy, mm-hmm. you know, I hope to have you one day again when, we, when we're talking about you in the same discussion as the Chappelle's and the Cat Williams and the Chris Rocks of the world. I hope that that happens and I will be here to do just that. Perfect. All right. Thank you, man. Thank Long you. live y'all. Josh, get some ball deodorant, bro. Shit is nasty. Oh. By the way, check out the Potterhood podcast. It's my podcast with me and my co-host Will Posner talk about Harry Potter. That's Potterhood, P-O-T-T-E-R-H-O-O-D. For the Harry Potter nerd in you, we service a little bit of everybody. So make sure y'all come check us out. Give us a five-star rating. But before you do that, make sure you give Where's This Going five-star rating. Hosted by Felix Levine. That's yes, it, right? Sir. Hosted by Felix Levine. Thank y'all so much. 